In this podcast episode, I've spoken to Gary Broad, who's managing partner at a company called Deep Knowledge Investing. His company has produced a research report looking at the online education industry, an area which Class Futures looks at. I was interested to speak to him about the report, his findings, and his views on the space and how it's changing. Hi, Gary. Um, it's great to have you on Class Futures, the podcast. Um, the reason I got in touch with you is that you've recently produced a report um, from your company, Deep Knowledge Investing, looking at uh, the online education industry and the trends that are taking place there. Um, we'll talk about that shortly, but just quickly as a quick fire rounds, um, favorite subject at school? First, Jonathan, thanks so much for having me. Love what you're doing in terms of financial education. I think it's really important and uh, I'm really happy to be here with you. Thank uh, you, thank you. Yeah, going to uh, favorite subject at school, can I list two, please? You can. All right, one from high school. I had a phenomenal chemistry teacher, Mrs. Schmidt. Um, and the great thing about chemistry is you're looking at this theoretical, tiny, literally atomic and subatomic world, but everything that you're learning applies to the real world. And there's practical knowledge in there. And Mrs. Schmidt was a phenomenal teacher. She got us all extremely well prepared. My entire class passed the AP exam, uh, most of us with fours and fives, which was you know, the highest score possible. And she, she, she's the kind of person she would say, I'm teaching an optional class at 9 a.m. on Saturday. And wow. everyone would show up. We'd That's all come. Brilliant. Yes. 9 right? on a Saturday. Right. And, and if you think about it from her point of view, think about all the effort that she put in, how much she cared about us learning chemistry. And then think about all of the respect we had as high school students that she said class on Saturday morning. And we all said, OK, we're coming. Fantastic. Very dedicated. Yeah, she was terrific. And, um, you know, to this day, everything I know about chemistry, I learned in high school. And those are good things to know. Um, so and I'm going to give you one. What was your second? I'm going to give you one more. Yeah, this is from college. And I hated the class when I was in it. But boy, has it been helpful ever since. Um, I took a statistics class at the University of Michigan. Uh, statistics 401. Ed Rothman uh, was the professor and he literally wrote the book. In fact, if, if uh, I don't know if you can see on the video behind me, there's a bookshelf behind me, his book is on the bookshelf right now. Mm. And um, Professor Rothman knew the material inside and out. He was the kind of guy who'd get called in to be an expert witness in court cases, right? Somebody alleged discrimination, he would prove that there was or wasn't by looking at the makeup of um, you know, the various pools of people involved. Um, and it was an intense class, 500 people. I was one of five people to get an A plus in the course. And I will also tell you the last couple of years, I've been in touch with Professor Rothman. He headed the statistics department at Michigan. And just to give you a sense of the kind of guy he is, mm. um, I, I was dealing with a personal issue where I really needed a statistics question answered. This is a few years ago. And I, I tried, I looked through the book, I, I Googled it. And for the life of me, I could not get the solution. It was just beyond me. And so I found his email and I wrote him a note saying, hey, I'm dealing with you know a personal issue. I really could use your help on this. 
And he emailed me back with his personal cell phone and I called him and he helped me build the model to get the answer I needed. That's so kind. Isn't it great how you can drop a line to a former professor or teacher via email and they respond and get back in touch? Yes. And, and I will also tell you even more than chemistry, being statistically literate is, is a life changer. It matters in so much of what we do. Uh, it does matter in your life so much of what you're going to, your listeners, if you're listening to this, so much of what you're going to be told for the rest of your life by the media, by teachers, by people you work for is going to be based on a correct or potentially incorrect understanding of statistics and being able to evaluate that information that's being presented to you and know where the errors are, know what is real and what's nonsense um, is life-changing. And just like I know you encourage your listeners to have a good grounding in finance, at least basic finance, mm -hmm. and to understand these and get a financial education, I would urge every one of you, make sure you get at least a basic understanding of statistics. It will help you evaluate the information that you're taking in, including financial information. You know, we see ways that companies can present information in misleading ways. And having a background in statistics or a working knowledge of it uh, can be very useful when you're looking at company financial filings. I bet. I think having an eye to, to sort of decipher information is, is really important. It reminds me as a geographer of, a, of, of Hans Rosling, who had a book called Factfulness and kind of looking into these statistics and understanding trends in a bit more detail. Um, I think your point around relationships with, with teachers and professors is fascinating there. And it's kind of a nice link into the report that you've produced um, through your company, Deep Knowledge Investing, Gary, looking at the future of online um, education, the online education industry. Um, what was the report? What made you look, look into that area specifically? So, you know, basically what the whole world has had over the last year and a half has been a crash course in online learning. And what we found is that there are places where it works really well and that everybody can do it. And, I, you know, I was having a conversation with... Um, an executive from one of the big public online learning companies. And you know, I said to him, what's really changed? And he said, two years ago, some percentage of professors were saying, I will never teach online, no way. And he said, where we are right now, 100% of institutions, 100% of classes, 100% of professors, all are open to teaching online and know that's gonna be part of what they do. Um, and so we saw this as a huge growth area. And one of the areas where we have a difference of opinion is there are a lot of people who believe, uh, they believe that the last year, this COVID year was a one-time bump. And that's a reasonable point of view. It's not a silly thing to think. Our view is different. We think it was proof of concept. We think we are now really in the early stages of a worldwide movement where people at very low prices from all over the world mm. have an opportunity to not only get an education, to have access to the materials to learn, um, but mm. to get certified for it. 
right? And so let's, you know, let's take a look at the history of education. For thousands of years, every single civilization has had roughly the same educational system. You go physically to be near somebody who's going to teach you, you know, whether it was a professor, a leader, a, a tribal chief, whatever it is, uh, you know, I, or people learning a trade would go to a master silversmith or a master mason to learn and you would be physically there and you would learn. I go back to the library of Alexandria, right? One of the great wonders of the world, you had to travel there to be there. And now we're in a situation where people all over the world have access to a top quality education and can get a degree for a fraction of the price. And you don't need to travel to Alexandria mm. or to Cambridge or you know anywhere. Yeah, it's kind of mind blowing thinking like that, isn't it? The fact that you can access these things through the internet. Um, so I'm interested in quite a few points you raised there. COVID is proof of concept. Um, I really like that. Do you, what, what are the main companies you see taking this area forwards in terms of online education? Which companies did you talk about in your report? So there were two we focused on. Um, the first is Coursera. And in our opinion, Coursera is one of the best stock picks we see over the next five, 10 years. This is a company, they claim they can grow the top line 30% a year. We actually think that can happen. Um, Coursera does, uh, they, they have online degrees, but that's a small part of the business. We also know that part of the business is going to go grow quickly because they're licensed for, uh, I think, twice as many degrees as they actually have up and running now. So over the next year or two, as they upload more content, they'll be offering more degrees. Uh, they also have a big consumer division where people can just go take classes or get certifications. So, you know, Jonathan, let's say you and I were talking and we had a shared love of Shakespeare. We just go take a Shakespeare class from any university around the world. And we could do that for free. That education is available for free. If we wanted a certificate, you know, maybe $50 to say, hey, we've done this, uh, which I think is absolutely terrific. And then there are all kinds of classes that are maybe more practically minded, classes in computer programming and different computer languages, classes in negotiation. I guarantee you there are classes in statistics and chemistry. Mm -hmm. I recommend those to people. Um, and so that is, is an incredible business. The whole education, I mean, there are 5,000 classes on Coursera available. And that whole educational world is now available to anyone around the world. And that's, that's incredible. They also have a large division where they work with corporations and governments. So let's think about the implications of that. Let's think about all the people who are on a, unemployment right now and the people who have lost their jobs because of automation or, um, They've been outsourced. You know, that's an issue in the United States. A lot of the manufacturing jobs have been outsourced. And so now these, what do these people do? They're on unemployment right now and they don't have a skill set for the next set of jobs. Um, but what if they can go online and in three to six months get a certificate that enables them to get another job? And Think about the benefit to the government. You are getting people off unemployment and turning them into taxpayers. The benefit of that to taxpayers like me, where instead of supporting these people, these people are now contributing. And 
most importantly, the benefit to people who go from being on unemployment to being in charge of their own lives and mm -hmm. earning their own living and having new careers. Um, this is the kind of thing where nobody loses. It's, it's a positive for everyone. Um, Coursera is also working with now 600 corporations for training and retraining to help people advance in their careers. So imagine you're working somewhere and they say, well, we need you to learn this uh, programming language, or we need you to learn these accounting skills. It's required for you to uh, excel in your job, or more importantly, it's required for you to get promoted. And it's expensive for, uh, for these companies to educate these people. Why should they be doing it? There are universities that have classes to do it. And so they partner with these, um, with these different classes, these different universities, and put together programs that will help people. And that's the kind of stuff Coursera is doing. It's fascinating. So many different facets, whether it's education or skills, upskilling, training, so many different facets that Coursera is bringing and bringing to the market. What do you think makes it stand out as a company? And how do you think it'll fare in terms of staving off competition what what makes it stand out and strong do you think yeah that's that's the key question so in order to answer that let's talk about what the rest of the landscape looks like there are a large number of companies um, that do partial work on this so maybe you go to them for course design or uh, you know, getting online or student recruitment, they break, they break it up into various segments. But the big three uh, are Coursera, 2U, and edX. And, and your listeners will point out that there are some other platforms as well. And, and that's true. There are things like Masterclass, which is more entertainment. And, you know, Pearson has offerings, but they're more of a conglomerate. Um, anyway, your, your listeners will point out that there are other full platforms, but those are really the big three in this space. And to you and edX are very much focused on full price, high end degrees or certificates. And to you is in the process of acquiring edX. edX is a nonprofit joint venture between MIT and Harvard. And to uh, you is acquiring uh, edX for $800 million. That's been announced, but not closed yet. We think it's a phenomenal acquisition for them. Mm. Um, but the reason we prefer Coursera's model is because Coursera is focused on providing very widespread education at discounted prices. To you and edX are more focused on providing uh, very high-end degrees at very close to full pricing. And so imagine for a minute, you wanted to get a degree from MIT or a degree from Harvard. Well, if it were the same price, you might wanna be on campus for that, mm -hmm. right? But, and, and that's terrific. And we think it's great that they're working at the high end, but the truth is there are more people who need an education in the middle or at the low end right? The, the elite part of the market is, uh, by definition, a segment of the market. Mm -hmm. Coursera right now is 90 million registered learners. That is twice the size of the combined 2U edX platform. And so what we've seen in technology again and again 
is being the first one to get to scale has huge advantages. Absolutely. And it sounds like it's really democratizing education, the access to those kind of courses that previously would have cost a lot of money to access or to go away to university. Um, I know a lot of my listeners will probably be listening to this and thinking, yikes, that's kind of scary. What does it mean for my, for my, for my own teaching? Is my organization changing? What, what, what role do you think educational institutions need to, to be doing to make sure that they're staying at the forefront of their, their online teaching themselves? Yeah, Jonathan, I, I love that question because one thing that's come up, and I, I, I've emphasized this point in writing, but I want to make it um, crystal clear for your listeners. We are not um, against the traditional model of graduating from high school and going to spend three or four years on a college mm-hmm. campus. We, we don't think there's anything wrong with the traditional model. We are instead applauding the universities that are offering students another choice, right? Students now have a much less expensive option and an option that's more flexible, more consistent with their lives, right? For for many of us, we graduated from high school and we were able to go spend three, four years on a college campus and that's wonderful. But there are people who have delayed getting an education or getting a higher education rather for more than a year. There are people with young children to take care of people with aging parents to take care of, people who have jobs, who have to work. For these people, picking up and moving to a college campus and living there for three or four years may not be practical. Mm -hmm. So we're applauding the universities that are offering their students another choice. And that's fantastic. Now, what we've seen is that some of these, um, they're called MOOCs, Massively Open Online Courses. Mm -hmm. Uh, M-O-O-C is the acronym. Um, some of them have attracted, you know, 50,000 learners for a particular semester. Um, there's a very famous course on happiness taught by a professor at Yale. Millions of people have taken that class. And that's really, that's not people pursuing degrees. That's mostly people who are just really interested in the, in the subject matter and who want to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's fantastic that they're doing that. Um, I think what we're going to see, though, is we're going to see uh, two things. We're going to see a separation of the educational world into winners and losers. I do think universities will close because of this. Um, And what we will see is certain, we'll call them star professors, um, people who are recognized as being the best professors, will get much more attention and much more money. Um, than they've been getting. And if you're sort of a middle tier or lower tier um, instructor, you know, people might prefer to take the online version with the top person in the field rather than attend your class in person. And that's something people are going to need to deal with. The educational market is about to start facing the same kind of competition that the rest of the world has faced Mm. from the internet. Uh, when you can teach 50,000 people online, um, you may not need as many professors and you don't need as many people on a college campus and certain universities will close. Now, one of the things that we've seen people talk about, which we don't agree with, is there's sort of this panic that, okay, well, so the top universities will survive and the crappy bottom universities are going to go away. And 
I don't think that's the case at all. Um, because not everybody should be studying calculus at MIT. Not everybody should be in a Harvard Law program, right? There will be people who aren't prepared academically to compete at that level. And there are a lot, for a lot of people, a community college education is fantastic and it gets them where they need to go. And so the way we're thinking about it isn't high end versus low end. We're thinking about the institutions that do a great job of meeting student needs, hmm. right? And different students have different needs and not everybody's prepared to compete at the highest level. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with getting a degree from a place that meets your educational needs, that teaches at your level. Um, and so I think what we will see over the next five, 10 years is a certain bifurcation um, of the institutions that meet their students' needs really well and the ones that don't. And I suspect that a certain amount of job credentialing and partnerships with a variety of potential employers will be part of that, right? Yeah. Right now, there's very little communication between employers and universities. And so think about when you graduated from school, you know, for all your listeners, you graduated from school, you went and got your first job. Were you ready to, to do the job on day one or did you need to get trained? Oh, it was a big adjustment. <laughs> right, right. And the reason there was a big adjustment is because the place where you went to work didn't have coordination with the place where you went to school. Hmm. Why, why not? Why aren't we doing that? And if you go back, just go back 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years, people had apprenticeships. You learned, you're, you're going to school was doing the job and you learned from a, uh, somebody who was a master of their craft. Um, you know, even if it was a blacksmith, you learned from a master blacksmith how to be a junior blacksmith and got better over time. And if you think about it, certain schools operate extremely well as vocational schools. When you go to medical school, you come out of medical school with training that really does prepare you to be a doctor. You go to law school, you come out of law school with training that does prepare you to be a lawyer. Now, you know, is there, is there still a learning process, especially for trial law? Yeah, of course. But they come out with a skill set that enables them to perform. Well, for the rest of us, why is that not happening? Mm. Right. And so I think what will happen over time is the universities that serve their students well will coordinate with employers. And the employers will say, these are the classes, these are the skills, this is what we want from, from your students. And that will happen not just at the Ivy League level it will happen at the community college level too. And the ones that do that well, I think are going to succeed. Fascinating, there's lots of food for thought there, going right back to the positive side of these changes with it being another choice, the separation of this, the education, education world, um, the links that universities can build with employers, there's lots of food for thought, Gary. You've kind of tapped into my big question, which we end the podcast with, which is, What's your view on the future of education? God, I, I love that question. Um, and let's talk about that for a minute, Jonathan. But I, I'm, I'm only confident in one, in one prediction. Okay, that's great. And the prediction that I'm confident in 
is two years from now, it will look different than it does now. Five <laughs> years from now, it'll look different again. Um, whatever we're looking at right now is going to change. So mm. we're going to be following this industry for years. We welcome people to stay engaged, to, to follow um, not only the industry, but we'll, we'll, be, we'll be researching it. We'll be writing on it. Um, mm. the, the one thing that's going to be constant, just like any business that's been remade by the internet is there's going to be constant change. But besides that, let's talk about a few specific predictions. Um, one thing that we see as very likely are hybrid degrees, right? And so, you know, let me give you a great example. I went to the University of Michigan, um, which has a, I, I wasn't an engineer, but Michigan has a great engineering school. And for many years, they provided the automakers with really top-notch automotive engineers. And, you know, Stanford has uh, an MBA program that is known for entrepreneurship. So why would we not be seeing some sort of hybrid degree in entrepreneurial automotive um, studies? That's how you end up with the next Tesla or you know, the next Nikola or the next QuantumScape. And I realize some of those companies haven't gotten off to a good start, but they're, they're all dealing with really interesting ideas. How do we rethink the automobile, right? Well, somebody with a degree in entrepreneurial engineering might be able to handle that. And we should be doing that. Um, you know, we were talking about edX, which is a, a um, a joint venture between MIT and Harvard. Harvard has a phenomenal business school. MIT trains terrific rocket scientists and physicists. You know, what, why not a hybrid degree in that? People who understand what the financial implications of certain breakthroughs are, right? These, all these things can happen. I think we'll also see, like, like we said, uh, a bifurcation in the educational industry. I do think some universities will close because of this, but, but the survivors will be educating more people. Um, and again, we think the winners are going to be the ones who serve their students best, not necessarily the ones that people would consider elite or high-end. Um, they may or may not serve their students well. We think we'll see an increasing focus on return on investment. Um, you know, we wrote an article recently where we quoted Aaron uh, Pisacane, who is the CEO of Einstein Higher Edgy Systems. He's the former chief credit officer of Sally May. And he told us that one in five U.S. college students graduates with so much debt, they'll never be able to pay it off. And they'll, they'll have that debt the rest of their lives. So what we think we're going to see is an increasing focus on making sure that we match the cost of an education with the kind of return that people can get. What kind of job do you get with this degree? How much money can you make doing that? And anyone who wants to argue, hey, listen, education has a value in itself. And even if you don't get paid for reading Shakespeare or Homer, that still has value. And you know what? That's a great point. I agree with that. Um, I think that's fantastic. I think it's great to read widely and to be curious and to pursue a broad understanding of the world. 
But spending your entire life in debt because of decisions you made when you were 16 or 17 years old, that's not healthy either. We just need to see a better match. And I think that's going to be part of what we'll see going forward. I think, um, and you can argue whether this is good or bad, but I think what you're going to see is maybe a little higher production values and more showmanship. Uh, so if you're teaching a, a MOOC, a massively open online course with 50,000 people in it, um, maybe you need to get some Hollywood or TV producers involved because the last thing you want are people falling asleep you know, in the back row or not paying attention. Maybe we need to find ways to engage people better. And so that's very hard to do when you're teaching a class and you stand up in front of, you know, 30 people or at Michigan, it could be 500 people. Um, and maybe you're an interesting professor or maybe you're not, but it's sort of you in front of the class. Well, when you're teaching online people from all over the world, maybe we have better production values. And uh, do I think it should be like watching Netflix? No, but there may be better ways to engage people with the material. Um, I will tell you, Mrs. Schmidt got us all engaged enough in our chemistry lessons that we showed up for volunteer class at 9 a.m. She was entertaining, you know, she knew how to make chemistry come alive for us. Uh, and I'll make one final prediction, Jonathan. Um, it's we are going to see a worldwide revolution in, in educational availability. Um, the area where Coursera is focused right now is India. They're doing a ton of business in China and Brazil. But think about poor people all over the world who don't have the money to get on a plane and deal with US customs and immigration or, or UK customs mm -hmm. and immigration and pay out of state, out of country tuition uh, and to live overseas for four years and not work for four years to get that degree. They're, they're frozen out. And now they don't need to leave home. And for a price that's a fraction of what it would cost them, they can not only get that education, but get certified and take that and go get a job somewhere. And, you know, there are countries like India where you have huge numbers of poor people who understand the value of an education, who want to get a good job, who have a great work ethic, who are extremely driven. And this is going to be a worldwide revolution. Uh, one of the reasons we're betting on Coursera is because there's nobody larger in that space right now. Mm -hmm. And they're rapidly expanding overseas. And we think that this is a great business opportunity for Coursera. We think it's a great opportunity for educational institutions to fulfill their mission, their mandate of educating as many people as possible and improving their lives. And then it, this is life-changing for poor people all over the globe who now will be able to access this ability to learn and compete. It, it really is. Um, I'm a geography teacher in my, in, my, in, my, in my main kind of job, and it's fascinating how it impacts things like migration. I think you've touched upon a lot of good predictions there, Gary. 
Um, more than one, but I'll let you have the more than one prediction. Um, <laughs> lots of interesting food of thought. I'm going to provide some analysis after this show ends on, on our separate podcast. We've been talking for 30 minutes. It's been great to have you on Class Futures. Thanks so much, Gary. Jonathan, thanks for having me. Such a pleasure speaking with you. section of the podcast I provide a summary or some analysis of the key points that Gary talked around. I think the first point would be that online learning is has been proven as a concept. Covid was proof of concept and it's not simply a bump in the road. Online learning is here to stay. It's a growth area and institutions need to be investing and providing leadership in this area. I think secondly there are opportunities for learners specifically in becoming certified and certification. Um, So some exciting opportunities where they can gain certification in in an area that they're interested in or want to learn about. I think thirdly, Gary talked about the traditional model um, and that breaking away and there's another choice now and we are getting a separation of education um, and we're likely to see more separation of education um, with new different institutions which offer a a new model which is different to the traditional model and a world where we will start to see uh, star professors or star teachers in their field who have strong online profiles, strong online presence and they're able to engage um, with with their learners. I think fourthly, um, links, universities need to develop links with employers Um, Certainly with community colleges, they need to strengthen the links that they have so they can offer um, stronger pathways for for their learners who come through their university or or community college. Um, And then finally, he talked about some of his predictions and he touched upon a few predictions here. Obviously, the two years is going to be different, which I thought was really nice. But he kind of drilled down into that. We're going to see the growth of what he called hybrid degrees, um, made up of of not just a, a degree, a, a pure subject itself, but made up with um, you building links with with other um, employers, for example, or other 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 skills areas um, to offer what's called a hybrid degree, um, which I thought was quite a neat idea. He talked about the bifurcation, again, of industry, so the, the, the growing divide that we're going to see around traditional and new models and delivering um, education to different learners at different stages of, of, their, of their learning career. And thirdly, um, another point he talked around was this importance of return on investment for that, for that learner or that pupil or that student. You know, w- w- how much do they, do they need to spend? What return are they going to get from that? Um, obviously, they want to see a return from the investment that they make in their in their learning career. And then finally, he talked about this really exciting opportunity that we're all part of and we're all facing with, and where I hope to, I hope to provide some analysis around, in which we we are getting a worldwide revolution in education availability, and the availability now of education is is opening up, and that's a really exciting opportunity for for everyone around the world. Um, people can access 
these courses from from any part of the world um, and they can start to to enhance their their learning experience and that has to be an exciting opportunity i really hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast um, don't forget you can subscribe to future podcasts by visiting classfutures.com if you head there just type in your email address and you can you'll receive an email with the latest um, podcast sent straight to your your inbox follow us on twitter uh, you join the community just ask some questions there you can follow us at class futures and myself at jonathan lloyd on twitter as well thanks for listening <laughs>